Hello everyone and welcome to The Stagey Place, the podcast where we here chat to those who make theatre from behind the scenes. From writers to directors, producers to designers. And on today's episode we have a returnee to the podcast as Carolyn Lloyd-Davies comes back into the Stagey studio to talk about Can't See For Looking, which is currently running at the Cockpit Theatre until the 4th of November. Hello, Carolyn, and welcome to the Stagey Place, your second time here on the Stagey Place after featuring in 2021's episode talking about penetration. Today, we are talking about Cartsy for Looking. Carolyn, <laughs> how are you? I'm really excited. I can't wait to get back to the cockpit again to see how my new play is going to land with the audience. Um, so it's very exciting and daunting, probably in equal measure. <laughs> yes. So as we said, this is Can't See for Looking, which is opening at the 18th of October until the 4th of November. But the show has just had its world premiere at the Old Fire Station in Oxford recently. So tell me a little bit about what the reception was like at the Old Fire Station in Oxford. Maybe you'd think I would say this anyway, wouldn't I? But honestly, it was astonishing. Apart from the fact that we were sold out for the first two nights, and then we were pretty full for the matinee and the Saturday evening performance, which was wonderful in its own right. But the sort of comments that we got coming back from people and not necessarily even people I knew. They were all different, but very similar. One of the main words people used was, it was so compelling. Somebody else I remember said, I was so impressed and so upset and so horrified all at the same time. It was magnificent. So it's those sort of comments that really make you think this is a play worth doing. And I always felt this play is a... A message, but not a message in a saccharine sort of way, but a message that needs to be heard. Yeah, and we were having a Q&A during the performance in Oxford. I remember one of the audience members asked you, you know, do the plays find you or do you find the plays, you know, and whether or not, you know, it's something that you read in the newspaper or whether or not someone's talking about it on the street. And it's something that maybe you want to delve in and research about that kind of subject. I wanted you to just reiterate that story because it was actually a neighbour, wasn't it, that kind of inspired the idea of the story. That's exactly right. And I would say, quite honestly, always the plays find me. I'm obviously open because I'm maybe thinking about another play, but the plays find me because of something I overhear or something I read. Or as you said, in this case, it was a neighbour and we were just chatting about the week to come. And this was about oh more than a year ago now. And she was telling me about her work in Hestia. And Hestia is a wonderful charity and the people there help support people who have been rescued from modern slavery. Now, of course, I'd heard of modern slavery, but it certainly doesn't happen anywhere near me or where I live in my lovely neighbourhood. And it transpires, it actually does. I mean, there are every city and many towns have forms of modern slavery at the moment. When I was starting to talk to Amy, I was so shocked by what she was saying to me that I got what I call, in a rather fanciful way, a tingle factor and thought, this is something I have to write about because I can't really believe it myself. And so after three months research, I had to believe it. 
I was lucky enough to be able to interview five women in London who'd been rescued from modern slavery. They each told me their separate stories. Each was different, but similar. And I was also able to speak to the anti-slavery commissioner in Oxfordshire and Dame Sarah Thornton, who used to be the Home Office Commissioner for Modern Slavery. And they were enormously helpful in the information they gave me and the follow-up papers they gave me. And so, you know, by the end of my three months research, I thought this is something I really have to write about. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you're you're doing all this research, you're interviewing all these people, like you say, who have been rescued from modern slavery and have found, you know, better lives now. When you're writing the story, we should say that it's the main character is Rosa and everything that happens in the story, how much of it is based on stuff that has come out of the interview and how much of it has been dramatised for a theatrical setting? Yes, many of the characters I have simply made up as characters. The actual events that unfold, everything that happens to Rosa happened to one person or another in real life. And, you know, there are a couple of things that happen in the play that are truly shocking, but they really happened. And the way in which the asylum interview is conducted, that is, I understand from people who do such things, to be completely authentic in that the interviewer is highly trained not to show anything other than a neutral facade. So... In this case, he, John, listens to her horrific story and then we just move on. He just makes a note of it and moves on. He never says anything like, oh, I'm so sorry for you. That must have been difficult. Or, and certainly the first two drafts of my play, I was trying to make him much kinder in the interview. He even made a cup of tea at one stage for Rosa. <laughs> and when I passed it by someone who actually has sat in on, on a number of those interviews, yeah. she said, there's absolutely no way that would happen. And she went through it with me and said, no, he would never say that. So now I think we see an authentic John, the Home Office Immigration Officer, but we also get a glimpse into some of the difficulties that he faces when interviewing applicants for asylum, especially those who have been traumatised through modern slavery. Yeah, and I know that you're saying in the Q&A as well, there's a line in the script that John talks about, about a teddy bear that is on the office table. And you said that that isn't dramatised, that that's sort of based on truth, right? It's certainly based on what I was told by someone who works in that area. I have not seen the evidence with my own eyes. So it might be one of those urban myths or whatever the equivalent is. But it was genuinely told to me that if you're not careful, you get a soft... I don't think it was a teddy bear. It was a soft toy to show that you're being too soft. But I made it into a teddy bear. And it's only uh, to quote, oh, it's just banter. But mm, there's something, though, you know, not quite... Underlying. Yeah, there's something underlying. There's something lying beneath the surface there, I think, as well. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, we've spoken a little bit about the research, about the inspiration behind the show. So let's talk about the show itself then, Can't See for Looking. So we spoke about Rosa and we spoke about John and we know that there's a couple more characters in the show. So tell us then, when audience come in to see the show, 
Whereabouts does the show start and who do we meet? The show starts with, I think, a very clever creative flourish, which isn't actually in the script, but it's the director's creativity. And we have a wonderful uh, movement director as well called Emma Webb. And between them, Emma and David have made this very a short piece of physical theatre, basically, where you see each of the characters coming onto the stage to music, using gestures that their character that is redolent of their character. Mm. So each actor creates a different gesture that they use. And then this play goes straight into the first opening speech by the Home Office Immigration Officer. And then the play moves from there. And what happens during the play is as Rosa unfolds her story so we have flashbacks and monologues from each of the other individual characters the first one I believe who comes on is Nora and Nora is uh, the mother-in-law of Rose's employer and she comes from a very different background very different attitude but it was important to me that I didn't create her as a 100% evil character, Cruella de Vil. Because in real life, we don't most of us wake up in the morning thinking, what evil can I do today? We just deal with life as it comes along, given the circumstances. And so I wanted her to be able to show how she also feels about the situation. But she does have very harsh disciplinary measures eventually when Rosa still can't seem to understand her role. And that is very powerfully played by Rania El-Kurdi, who herself comes from a Jordanian background. And she, yes, she's a, a wonderful actor in that role, as is Laura Fitzpatrick in the role of Hetty. Hetty is another character who sees but doesn't see what goes on. In many ways, she reflects a number of us who might get a feeling that something's not quite right. But as Hetty says, how do you report a feeling? And it would be terribly awkward because she's socially, she knows Rose's employers very well. Finally, but certainly not least, there is Angel. Angel has a very important role to play. She's played by a wonderful actor called Erica Posadas, and she brings a lot to play because although it's not a huge part it's of huge importance because she's the one who helps Rosa to escape without her Rosa would not find freedom without her she would not find the strength to actually stand up in court and give evidence against her employers. And also, of course, there is the Home Office Immigration Officer. So we have five actors and Thanos, the Xenophotis, he plays the part of John Mackenzie and plays it with such authenticity. A number of people came up to me in Oxford at the preview and were saying how they worked with people like him or in a past life, they were in the Home Office and they said, He's absolutely spot on, which is great. But I have to say, the whole play is made so well because of the actors and because of the director and because 
of the creatives, the lighting designer, the set designer. The script is a tiny, tiny bit of it, really. The production is due to this wonderful team that we have. And obviously, you know, this show and this story and this script has been in your head for quite a long time now. Like you say, you started researching, you know, the idea of this play over a year ago, you know, when this first started to boil into your head and you got that tingling feeling. When you then have a read-through and you're having the rehearsal process of the show and there are moments where people are like, can we change this? Can we change that? This doesn't seem to fit with the way that the actor is saying it in person. How do you feel when you are asked those questions or whether or not you know, we can cut those bits out of the script when you know that the words that you've produced for the script are based off stuff that you have been told about the subject matter. Ah, oh, yes, absolutely. I have to say that David, the director, he is very good at always, never, not a single word is changed without him phoning me that night and, and checking with me that that is okay. Because in the end, they obviously is still my copyright. Yeah. However, having trained as an actor myself, and knowing what it's like to use scripts. I think that when you're in the moment and in the character, there are occasions when you will say, that just slightly jars whether I use it. And, and it's usually really useful. And in general, I will always listen to what the change is. I think you have an instinct, whether this is a change for change's sake or whether this is a change to make the play better, the script better. And there have only been, I think, a couple of times when I said no, no, because actually that is really important. That line is really important. Yeah. And we need to talk about how, with, you need to talk to the director about how you can deliver that line. But generally speaking, I have to say, the actors have improved the script, I think. And sometimes it's just a matter of authenticity. Rania, who plays Nura, one of the lines is at the end, God is good. And she said to me, you know what, that's actually more of a Christian phrase. She is a Muslim. And she said, I think I would say God is great. It's that small change, which is very important, that we get right. That is wonderful. Like you say, uh, the actors almost know their characters. And like you say, if they come from that sort of history and that sort of background, then, then they, you know, they're the ones to just twine and, you know, refine those just like minimal words, you know, that just makes it more authentic for them and their characters, which is wonderful. So obviously you spoke a little bit there about David, David Trefaskis, who is the director of the piece. You've worked with David before. What is it like handing your scripts over to David? What does he bring to the shows that you send scripts over to? First of all, as a playwright, it's very painful. <laughs> <laughs> you give birth to this script and then someone with their team take it away from you. Yeah. <laughs> and so I can imagine with some, well, I have worked with other directors before, and I mean, I'm not saying anything against them at all, but with David, we were both at drama school together, even though he's very much younger than I am, but we were both at drama school together. So we've been through the agony and the ecstasy of drama school experience for a year. And I do totally trust him. But it is a strange experience because I go in for the first day of rehearsals and answer any questions and meet the cast and answer any questions that they have. But then, unless there's a reason, I don't need 
to go back. And I know that some directors, they hate it when the playwright's there because they're always in, interrupting and saying, no, 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 I think that. And indeed, with me, you know, when he first told me about this movement sequence of the actors right at the beginning, I said, well, why? What's it for? Why did you just go straight into the speech? And he explained, and actually, he's absolutely right. And I do think it's really important that you have a creative director who can take the cast and literally, I know it's a cliche, but literally lift the pages off the script and they do their magic with it and make it into this wonderfully creative production. And I am creative in terms of writing characters and plot lines, but I, I'm not nearly as creative as, as David is and as the actors are and Emma Webb, the movement director, they bring all that together and you add the lighting and the sound and whoa, it's it's so much more than I could ever produce on my own. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously the show is heading to the cockpit theatre. By the time that this episode goes out, we would have had a week or two of the show running. Tell me at this point, you've seen the set at the old fire station. So you kind of can envisage what it's going to look like at the cockpit theatre. So what are you most excited for getting this show up at the cockpit theatre? Having had a show there before, you know what audiences' reactions are like to your writing and shows in London. So what are you most excited for about getting the show to London? Extending the audience and having so many more people coming in because the cockpit's a wonderful venue to work with. They're so helpful and productive and I also love their strap line, disruptive panache. And I think they welcome plays which disrupt yeah. and to some extent panache, high quality <laughs> productions, <laughs> but disruptive because it is a shocking play. It does say to you, the audience, have you ever had this situation? Have you done anything about it? It's up to all of us to contribute to modern slavery. It's not, however, I must say, it's not a protest. It's simply unfolding a story, which I believe you cannot help but be moved by and share in Rosa's joy and karaoke music when she becomes free. So with the cockpit, I think I'm really excited about the space. Sammy Emin's lighting design really lends itself to that space. It's a very atmospheric lighting design that he's deliberately created because Saoirse Corcoran and Alice Carroll's set design is very clever, minimalistic, but very cleverly crafted. So I'm very excited in getting all of us into that bigger space. And I hope attracting audiences from all over London and the South East, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, the, the idea that this staging is set in thrust as well really gives an insight into watching those interview scenes that happen throughout the play. You're almost like a fly on the wall because you are watching yes. from the sides of the stage as well as 
end on as well. So it's almost like you're watching every minute detail about those characters mm. in the interview room and really trying to understand who's in the right, who's in the wrong, you know, what they're saying, how they contradict to themselves throughout the interview, like the staging and the way that the audience will be sat will be another wonderful addition to the cockpit. Absolutely. I like that phrase, a fly on the wall. I think that's exactly what we are all through the play. And sometimes it can be deeply disturbing because there are scenes there which are emotionally disturbing and physically a couple of very well choreographed fight scenes, very well done I think but you feel oh oh you you just feel that visceral connection I think is the word there's a visceral connection yeah and do you think about the role of the audience when you're writing the plays because obviously you know you've got these monologues with Rosa and with John especially when they're like talking out into the audience and you know they're not looking straight on they are talking to those who are sat around the space. So fancy yes. for looking, how important is the role of the audience? And when people are sat down watching the show, what role are they taking on when they're seeing fancy for looking? I hope they're taking on the role of not being, this is a negative really, of not being a passive observer. I hope that as the play unfolds, they will necessarily find themselves drawn in and having emotions and experience various, a range of emotions as the play goes on. And I know from when I was up in the tech balcony watching the audience, I know that some of them were deeply moved. And yes, and that's what I would like to feel when I'm writing the last drafts. I want to make sure that what I've written is going to affect the audience in a visceral sort of way, to have some effect, because that's what live theatre is about. I love live theatre. Whether you like it or not, if it's a good play, you get drawn in, your feelings get drawn in, you are there and you are with them or against them or there is some emotion there rather than just watching a screen for example and I'm not saying that you know there's brilliant tv and films as well but there's something about live theatre and the energy of the audience and every night is different yeah absolutely well Caroline thank you so much for coming on to talk about Can't See for Looking once again it's at the Cockpit Theatre from the 18th of October until the 4th of November. Now, Carolyn, as we said earlier on in this episode, you have been on the podcast before talking about penetration, which was in 2021. We're now two years later. And what I want to do is I want to re-ask you the final question that we ask everybody on this podcast. It's the title of this podcast. That's the stagey place. And what I love to ask all of my guests is where their stagey place is. So, Carolyn, for you, this could be where you research your play, where you write your plays whether or not that's at home or outside in your head and you know you're deciding what characters are going to be like before you're writing them down on the page it could be the rehearsal room that first day of rehearsal like you say you don't like to be there too much but you like to listen to the read through meet the actors or maybe it's weeks ahead from that and you're in tech or it's the previews where you're watching the audience, like you said, we can't see for looking, you're in the balcony and you're watching the audience and seeing how moved they were. So where is your stagey place? I love that question. One is at the beginning 
of the process and it's definitely my garden standing in my garden near a stream opposite a park and with all the trees around me and that's where I can really start thinking in my head and the second one is the other end of the process and you're absolutely right it's that first night when you see the audience coming in you can hear the buzz you can get the feeling, the energy and the smell. I know that sounds ridiculous of a lot of people chatting, buzzing and knowing the energy that's going on behind the scenes as well. There's just nothing like it. And it's the best buzz in the world for a playwright to be thinking we've created something out of nothing. And now all these people are coming in to see it. Yeah. And that's the thing about new writing as well, isn't it? Like before that first preview, the only people who know about the script, about the play, are the people who have been in the room working on that play. Like you say, you then have that first audience, that buzz, because they don't know what they've got themselves in for. They don't know the anticipation of what they're about to see. That's exactly. They unravel and find out everything that you have worked on for, you know, over a year, you've been thinking about this script and then finally audiences get to see what has been in your head for such a long time. So true. (laughs) Nothing like it. (laughs) Nothing like it at all, no. And we should say that this production of Can't See For Looking has been published, which is very exciting. Yes, absolutely. Aurora Metro Publications. It's on Amazon Books now, and it will be on sale at the cockpit as well. Brilliant. That's wonderful. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much for coming on once again to the Stagey Place to talk this time about your brand new production, Can't See For Looking. Again, we'll have all of the dates for the run at the cockpit in our episode notes. So wherever anyone is listening to this podcast, they'll be able to check out the dates and prices and timings for coming to see Can't See For Looking at the Cockpit Theatre. But Carolyn, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Elliot. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. (laughs) And there we go. That was writer Carolyn Lloyd-Davies there talking about her latest production, Can't See For Looking which is currently playing at the Cockpit Theatre until the 4th of November. Thank you so much to Carolyn for coming onto the podcast to chat about her latest show. Join us next week here on The Stage of Place where we will have Matthew Zia, the director of Feeling Afraid as Is Something Terrible Is Going to Happen, which is coming to the Bush Theatre after a stellar run at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2022. So until you join us then, or whenever you want to join us back here on this Stagey Place podcast, my name's been Elliot, you've been listening to the Stagey Place. I hope you're keeping safe and staying stagey. Goodbye.